the Siege of New Hampshire series by Mick Rowland. Book 5, Critical Spring. Chapter 24, A Corner Turned. Martin struggled to keep the plow handles down. Whenever the shear point hit a rock, which was often, the spindly iron plow would hop out of the furrow. None of his rows were straight enough to be proud of. He shook his head in disappointment as he surveyed his irregular field. It looks like it was plowed by a drunk. He knew that the first plowing of unbroken land would be messy, but not this messy. Maybe next year would be easier once the larger rocks were cleared. Robert walked beside Jasmine, holding her bridle and talking to her softly. He brought Jasmine over every day for a week since they had returned with the medicine. There was nothing more that Martin could do for Margaret. Antibiotics worked slowly. Staying busy with the back acre was a good distraction for him. Jasmine could only get a couple dozen or so furrows cut in a day before she needed a long rest. She was a saddle horse, not built for pulling like a draft breed. After his exhausting adventure, Martin would have liked to take a few days off to rest, too. This was plowing season, however. He needed to get the soil prepared quickly. The danger of frost would be passed soon enough. His beans required 120 days to maturity. Their clock needed to start soon if he was going to have a good harvest. At the end of the field, Robert turned Jasmine in a wide arc. Martin lifted the plow so it could pivot in place and be shifted over to start the next furrow. A series of flashes of light reflected on the underside of the trees next to Martin's house. The putter of their small generator provided a gentle background noise to the scraping over rocks. When we came in, it looked like your son was almost done welding on Clyde's gasifier, said Robert. Kind of a big beast, isn't it? He untwisted the thick leather traces that connected Jasmine's collar to the plow's single tree. Yeah, biggest one we've made yet, said Martin. He nodded that he was ready. Robert tugged on Jasmine's bridle. Her hooves dug into the ground as she leaned into the load. The plowshare sank into the weedy sod. As she pulled, the plow cut the soil and rolled crumbly dirt to one side. Well, I'm glad Dustin didn't wait for me to get back before he got started, Martin said. I needed this week to plow. He got a lot done while I was gone. We'll probably be testing tomorrow. For being near done, you still have a lot of junk in your yard, Robert said over his shoulder. Martin chuckled. It did look like Dustin had merely transferred the dump scrap metal pile to their driveway. Yeah, we still have to make one for Charles, too. The plow jumped up and fell over on its side. Another rock. Robert pulled back on Jasmine's harness to stop her. Plowing, or dragging a plow on a side, was all the same to her. That was a big one. Martin felt around in the dirt. I don't see anything. Must be deep. I'll just mark the spot and bring shovels and pry bars later. He set up a little pile of stones on the crest of the furrow to mark the spot. As he struggled to get the plow upright and seated again, the strap on his carbine slipped off his shoulder. The rifle fell down to his elbow. You really didn't need to bring that, said Robert. 
Captain McCutcheon's border units have pretty much stopped the flow of raiders over the border. Yeah, well, pretty much is the key phrase, Martin said. There's still a chance some might get through. Oh, not this far north, said Robert. Oh, sure, some of their small napalm planes still get this far up, but they haven't hit anything important yet, and your carbine won't help with them anyhow. Plowing's hard enough without that thing flopping around on your shoulder all the time. Well, maybe, but I'd rather have it with me. Okay, got the plow set again. Martin tipped and wiggled the plow to set the share into the sod. Come on, Jasmine. Give me just the rest of this row for today. I know you've got it in you, Martin recalled the frenzied way Jasmine trampled that raider near Manadnock. She had no lack of energy then. Martin wondered about that man. He still felt little sympathy for him, a moral failing on his own part. From the way they found him on their return trip, it was clear that the man hadn't moved. Martin wondered if covering the man's body with branches and grasses would be enough of a burial to prevent Cody from finding him. I wonder what he chose, Martin mused. The horse put her head down and pulled against the leather traces. The plow advanced slowly. She was clearly tired. At the end of the row, Robert took off his cap and wiped his forehead. I think that's all we're good for for today. Want us back tomorrow? He unclipped the heavy straps from the collar and unchained the traces to the plow. No, said Martin. What's left between here and the swamp pond is kind of soft and wet. I'll just have more bean seed than I've got field, thanks to Susan. Never did get to know her, said Robert, as he pulled the straps up and stuffed them in a cloth bag. People kind of gossiped about you and her, you know. Yeah, I've heard, Martin smiled to himself. Nothing to it, Robert fidgeted pointlessly with bridle rings. If you don't mind my asking. He was obviously curious about old rumors. Alone in a field was as good a time as any to satisfy an old curiosity. Martin paused. Feelings were too complicated and subtle for quick replies. The past, especially paths not taken, were best let go. What mattered was the present and the future one intended to build. Nonetheless, Robert's question required some sort of reply. Well, Susan was a remarkable person, that's for sure, said Martin. Oh, she started out kind of needy. She lost her home down in Boston to a fire on the first day, had no friends or family to take her in. Like most city people, she was convinced that she couldn't take care of herself, you know, totally reliant on infrastructure and professionals to, for everything. Robert nodded knowingly as he turned Jasmine toward the path that led to the little wooden bridge. Did I ever tell you about the time she knocked out a carjacker with a shovel? Martin asked. Robert turned and raised one eyebrow. I thought I'd told that one to everyone. Well, apparently not. Yeah, that was the second day of the blackout, Martin began. A couple of carjackers attacked us. One of them had me down on the ground and was tried slashing at me with a knife. Susan laid him flat with a shovel. I tell you, from the fire I saw in her eyes at that moment, I knew she could take care of herself. She just needed to unlearn her city helplessness. So I taught her some skills most folks up here know, but mostly just let her grow some confidence. All that probably fed the rumor mill. People like to jump to tabloid conclusions, you know. Robert nodded. Uh, yeah, not enough news for some people. 
Especially nowadays, when there's no TV, eh? Martin chuckled. Still, she returned the favor by sending that truckload of supplies with Malcolm. She earmarked a bag of pole beans for me. Walter said she's somewhere in Vermont. She let us know she's all right, and I have no doubt she is. Well, if you're done with the plow, Robert said, I'll let Charles know as we go past his house. Uh, see you in town next Saturday? Oh, I don't know, Martin hedged. He didn't like to leave the property while Margaret was still bedridden. Oh, come on, it'll be fun, Robert said. It won't be the Deerfield Fair or anything, but after surviving the winter, people are eager to make some fun together. After all you've been through, you could use a little fun, too. Yeah, well, there's a lot to do. There's the gasifiers and preparing the gardens. Ah, oh, one afternoon and evening won't put you behind. Besides, you can watch my little niece, Maddie, in her first dance recital. Miss Narka started teaching her class again. The girls want to put on a show. How cute would that be? Maddie's going to be a tap-dancing panda, if Jen can get the costume done in time. I heard Hooper's practicing on his accordion. He's going to play Lady of Spain, I think, or maybe it's a medley. Well, anyhow, Andrew Haddock's wife will play the piano. She was classically trained, you know. At least that'll be good. Well, sounds like a good time, but I kind of like to stay close, you know, said Martin. They're going to have a seed swap, too, Robert said in a tempting tone. You could bring your excess beans and trade them in for some zucchini or turnips, or maybe pick up something spicy. Mmm, hot peppers. Who wouldn't want a batch of dried peppers for next winter? Yeah, well, we'll see, said Martin. The seed swap did sound worthwhile. Well, thanks again for bringing Jasmine. Hey, you're welcome. It's been good for her. After a week of trail adventure, she doesn't like being cooped up in the paddock. Plowing has been good for burning off her wanderlust. Robert waved goodbye and led Jasmine down the path. Martin stared at the iron-framed plow. It was an awkward object to trundle any distance over rough ground. Nonetheless, he needed to get it out at the end of his driveway soon. No doubt Charles had it rented to the next person already. A rummaging sound from the edge of the woods made Martin tense up. He pulled the sling off his shoulder and turned the carbine into a loose, ready position, while he tipped his head for another sample of the sounds. The noise was too flagrant to be raiders. Martin relaxed. His eyes scanned the trees in the direction of the sound. A thin young man emerged from between the young pines. Uh, hey, Andy, Martin called out and waved. Over here. Uh, I could use a hand. Andy waved and started to walk across the fresh dirt furrows. Martin frantically gestured that he should walk around the plowed ground. Oh, hey, Mr. S., uh, looks like your Amish farmer gig is working out pretty well. Martin glanced back at the house, and Andy seemed to be looking at it instead of him. Uh, yeah, well, I'll, I'll get better at plowing soon enough. I'd like a hand with, uh, what are you looking at? Uh, I'm looking at you, Mr. S. I've always said that eye contact is the key ingredient to a fine art of conversation. Uh, then why do you keep looking over there? Martin asked. Andy turned to face Martin. Whoa, gasped Martin. What happened to your eye? Oh, well, I'm guessing it's uh, swelled shut because I can't see anything out of it. Well, I can see that, but... Oh, that's why I said eye contact, uh, using the singular, because I only got one good eye. 
Uh, but now that I think of it, uh, the phrase always was in the singular, even if I... Uh, okay, okay. Well, what happened? Oh, I'm sure Mara didn't mean it, said Andy. Didn't mean what? Well, it smacked me in the eye with the butt of her spear. Oh, I'm sure it's just some sort of freak spear-handling accident thing. Uh, they're probably a lot more common than people think, uh, but they largely go unreported uh, because of... Uh, aha. So you were out at Mara's camp again? Uh, you weren't talking to her about soulmate stuff again, were you? Oh, no, 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 said Andy, with his hands raised. I was being super diplomatic. She still has some serious emotional walls up against us being soulmates. Getting thrown over a river, even a little one, is a memorable learning experience. Well, I'm sure, said Martin. He picked up one of the plow's handles. Uh, take this other handle and help me roll this thing out to the road. The two men lifted their handles and walked beside the plow, pulling it backward. They had to hold on tightly. The little depth wheel had a habit of snagging on rocks and tree roots that crossed the path. Uh, so, Martin began casually, what were you talking about with Mara when the um, spear accident happened? Conversation stopped while the two men chose their steps carefully as they crossed the narrow wooden bridge over the stream. Oh, totally safe stuff, uh, you know, Andy resumed. Yeah, we were just sitting and uh, talking around her little campfire. I mean, she's getting a lot more accepting of social visits lately. I was just telling her about how happy Trevor was these days, on account of that nurse Chandra taking rooms over the general store. Oh, yeah, since Trevor thinks he's found his mate for life. It seemed like a diplomatic way of talking about soulmates without actually using the words, uh, because those could get a guy launched. So instead, uh, I focused on how Nurse Chandra is being like uh, Cheshire's very own official medical person. Martin nodded. Chandra had already taken a lot of pressure off of Connie for monitoring the antibiotics and Margaret. Uh, Mara didn't smack you because Trevor was happy, said Martin. Oh, no. She seemed to slip when I uh, suggested that she come to the planting festival with me. Uh, I figured she must not have heard anything about it. In her total shock of hearing that there was going to be a fair, uh, she had some sort of surprise shock reflex spasm thing. And that's when the spear shaft hit your eye? Uh, accidentally? Oh, yeah. Uh, for a small woman, uh, she's surprisingly strong. I think she felt really embarrassed at her lack of muscle control because uh, she rushed inside her little hut. Uh, she wouldn't come out to answer me or anything. Oh, I felt terrible for her, you know. Oh, just imagine how awful she must have felt, huh? Um, yeah. Mm, you maybe shouldn't bring up the planting festival again, though. Oh, yeah, right, said Andy with a nod. It would only remind her of her uncontrolled muscle spasms. Oh, good thinking, Mr. S. Oh, I don't want to shame her by calling attention to her disabilities. This'll do, said Martin. We can leave the plow right here. Thanks for lending a hand. They set the plow down near the end of the driveway. Uh, you should go in and put some cold water on that eye. Oh, hey, we'll do, Mr. S. Martin stood in his driveway, surveying the assortment of steel cans, straps, pipes, and tanks. It looked like far more material than a second gasifier would need. Then he noticed someone coming around the corner of the house. Margaret? he said to himself with a gasp. 
He paused for a moment in disbelief before rushing through the rows of semi-sorted scrap. We're up! He stopped an arm's length away from her. It was amazing to see her standing again. She looked thin and pale, but her eyes had that familiar, I've got things to do, look in them. Are you supposed to be up? Judy stood behind Margaret, holding an IV bag at shoulder height. I've only got a couple of days left fawn treatment, Margaret said. Chandra said that I need to start walking around. Oh, well, maybe this is enough, Martin said. I'll walk you back to the house. Uh, you don't want to get weakened or... I'll be fine, Martin. I'll go back in and sit down when I'm done. I came out here to tell you some good news. What? That you're better? Well, I can see that. He wanted to envelop her in a bear hug, but worried that she wasn't up to it. He settled for a gentle squeeze of her non-ivy arm. He was relishing a chance to look at her face again. No, something else, Margaret said. Judy just got a radio message from the dairy. Genevieve had her calf. She had a little girl calf. Oh, isn't that great? The other two cows had their calves, too. Our little dairy herd is growing. Uh, are you listening to me? You're just staring at me. I'm listening. Yeah, baby calf, great news. Boy, it's great to see you up again, Martin said as he studied her face. Oh, but that's not all, said Margaret. Judy is pregnant. Yeah, yeah, that's nice, too. Wait, what? Martin looked at Judy. You're what? I could tell you weren't listening, Margaret admonished him gently. She turned her head and gave a little nod to Judy. No, go ahead. You're going to be a grandpa, Judy said with a wide smile. Ah, came a shout from behind them. What? Martin tried to ignore the shout. Grandpa? Lucas came running down the backyard hill with his hands cupped together and held near his chest. She's gone crazy. Behind Lucas ran the old red hen. She had her feathers fluffed up to where she resembled a feathered porcupine. She flapped and shrieked as she chased Lucas. All the eggs have hatched, said Lucas. He held his hands out as he ran by. All Martin could see was a little patch of fluff between his thumbs. I was bringing one to show you, and then that chicken, she went nuts. Martin and Margaret chuckled. Red screeched as if she thought she was a velociraptor. Lucas was only able to stay ahead of her because she frequently fell after she jumped at him. It took a moment for her to get on her feet again after each bad landing and resume running for the next leap. Well, she just wants her chick back, Lucas. Put it down. No way. She's gone crazy. She'll hurt the little chick. He turned and ran back up the hill. Red continued to run after him, leaping at his legs as if she had eagle talons. Judy, could you go help Lucas? One of them is going to get hurt, said Martin. Judy handed Martin the IV bag and ran up the hill after Lucas. Looks like we're going to be busy around here, Grandpa, said Margaret. She settled beside Martin. He put his arm around her waist. Martin was still stunned by the news. Trying to grow enough food for his full house was going to be a full-time challenge. Now he had to factor in a baby? Where in the world are we going to put a nursery, he said, mostly to himself. Every room in the house is already doing double duty. Well, we've got a few months to figure that out, said Margaret. What you don't have much time left for, however, is time to ask me to the planting festival dance. 
dance, you just started walking again, scolded Martin. My calendar is filling up fast, you know, she teased. You need rest. I need to get back to work, she said. We have so much to do. Tell you what, I'll request a slow dance. How about that? She leaned up and gave him a long, slow kiss on his cheek. He pulled her closer. Well, we do have a lot of work to do, but I could take you to a dance first. There you have it. All the chapters of Critical Spring, book five in the Siege of New Hampshire series. Narrating all five books has been quite an experience, one that a few years ago I would never have imagined. I blame you, Jeff. See what you started? This is where I would have put in a little smiley face emoji, but this is audio. It would be neat if you could share your thoughts about the series in the comments or ratings feature of whatever platform you're listening to this on. Let other listeners know what you thought. And then what's next, you might ask? Well, next Friday I'll post an epilogue of sorts for book five. There'll be a bit of background, some author notes about the book, and a bit of a preview of what I have in mind for this podcast for the new year. The ideas are still baking in the oven, so to speak, so I can't be too specific. For now, I hope you all have a wonderful Christmas. After Christmas, I'll bring you the epilogue of Book 5. Talk to you then.